Wow, good morning everyone. Good to see you all. Uh, you're really welcome. Great that you could be with us if you are visiting and we haven't met. My name, as Andre said, is Ian. Um, I head up the team here, part of the eldership team. Um, yeah, great that you're here. And we're going to dig into God's Word today. Uh, we take that very seriously. I hope you uh, have seen that about us already. Um, it's a big, big day for myself. I was reminded, I was uh, reading my, the Bible uh, yesterday morning, I think it was, and um, uh, tomorrow is my wedding anniversary. been married to my beautiful bride for 19 years. Um, but a year after I got married, I got baptized. So I, 18 years ago, I got baptized. And I just want to say that the faithfulness of God through these uh, years, um, there have been ups and downs, but God has been good throughout. And I just want, wonder if there might be some uh, people here this morning that just feel that they're clinging on, basically, with their fingernails. Uh, to God, and you might not feel particularly close to Him. And do you know what? I've been through times like that. I'll just encourage, just want to encourage you. God is good. He is faithful. He is for you. He is not against you. He has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And I just feel God wants to remind you of that this morning. And if that is you, I'd love to chat to you, pray for you afterwards. Um, we have started a new series, new preaching series called The Greater Story. Ooh. Uh, and we are in week two this week. Uh, and if you are here this week looking for a cheery story and a happy ending, well then this week is not the week. <laughs> now, uh, we will talk about good news and we often talk about the good news of the gospel. But it is always in the context of that there's been some bad news. And that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, in fact, we're going to look at probably the worst day in history. Cheerful, I know. But then we're going to look forward with hope because without hope, we are hopeless. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So there will be good news, but you guys have to play your part by just staying awake until the very end. And then that will come. Do you think you, some of you can do that? I'd be happy with 50%, to be honest. They would be better than last week. So... Just to, just to recap, really, last week uh, we looked at creation. Hopefully, if you were here, you remember that. For those of you that were awake, you might remember that. And we, we saw that the gospel is all the way through and that the Bible is not a set of individual stories telling us how to live in order to find God, but the overarching story of the Bible is how God came down to earth to find us. You remember that. That's good. We saw how the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, created out of love. That this was an expression, his creation, out of his love. And at the beginning, God created everything. Not as a result of chance. Not as a coming together of molecules and it happened. But it was an intentional, purposeful action by God. How he created men and women in his image. How we are his image bearers. And God created everything else and said it was good. And he created man and woman and said it was very good. I know, it's amazing. He said very good. Looking out at you all this morning, God said very good. We have some different opinions on things. But um, what we see, though, through the Bible and through the history of humanity is that there's lots of bad news. 
And the gospel is good news in the context of that. So good news is always helpful when bad news is lurking. So good news is you've been to the doctors for tests. The test comes back and the result is all clear. That's good news. Maybe you've asked someone to marry you. And they've said, yes, that is good news. If perhaps you have a football team that have had a terrible start to the season, can barely look like they can score a goal, let alone win a match, then win two games on the bounce. That is good news. Until they go and lose to Luton at home. Luton at home. I think I'm just going to say my prayers now and then we'll call it a day. But it is all good. They are good news because there is this chance of things going wrong. Things can go sideways pretty quickly. And today, what we're looking at is a really bad day in the kids' work downstairs. So we're doing, we're looking at the same stuff from noughts to 100, 100. I'm sure, I don't think there's anyone older than 100. You look like a very young bunch. And it says a very bad day in the kids' work. That's the title of the kids' work today. So if your kids are down there, talk to them about this. And it's not the bad day that we might think of. You know, I had a bad day at work because it was hard, people were difficult, or I got stuck in traffic, I was really late. Not those sorts of bad days. Or kind of maybe a Seven Oaks frustration of my avocados weren't ripe enough. <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> I ran out of sourdough not that sort of bad day, what we're going to look at today is a kind of reality check. That's what we're looking at today. It's a reality check that the world is in a bad way. And there are many living in the world. There's many things in the world. There are many, many good things in the world in terms of creation and lots of things that bring us joy. But the reality is we live in what the Bible describes as a fallen world. All is not as it should be. For some, we are more aware than others. So it could be related to your job that you do. So it could be policeman, doctor, child psychologist, teacher, even a pastor. There are people and jobs that make us more aware of the brokenness in the world. They see sickness and violence and disease and broken families and all the effect of this fallen world. Some of us will sometimes need a little jog, a reminder, because we live in a fog of uneventfulness in terms of bad news. But every now and again, that fog lifts, and we see a terrible murder on, on the news. Or someone we know has a serious illness. Or maybe even a global pandemic happens. And the fog lifts, and we see the effects of this fallen world. And we in the West, I think, managed that a lot worse than the rest of the world with the pandemic because we're kind of immune, anesthetized uh, to the death and disease that is all around us. And that created huge anxiety and fear in the West and still affects many today. But I think just within every human, there is this inner groan of within us that's telling us there's something better. That pain and suffering is wrong. And, and knowing and wanting for something better without really knowing what that something better is. 
we know deep down we're, we're really meant for something better. And this broken world that we live in is not what was originally intended for us. And what we looked at last week was God creating everything and calling it good. And God creating man and woman and calling it very good. And then we see them giving, they had dominion over creation. They were to subdue it, to look after it. And let's just read a little further on from Genesis 2, just to expand the story a bit. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone, and I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had made and formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a, a, a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, there are many things that we could look at in this creation story. Um, but remember, what we're doing is kind of looking at the overarching bigger story, the greater story of this. And we touched on a lot of this stuff in our origin series last year. So if you want to go back to that, just to reference it. But we see here God putting Adam in the garden and giving him one rule. Not lots of rules, not ambiguous rules like be nice or show respect. They are living in a perfect place in paradise where there is no suffering, no shame, no pain. And it says go forth and multiply. Name all of the livestock, in, uh, the birds of the air and the fish in the sea. Name them. I'd run out of names, by the way. After a while, I think I would. But he did very well. Go and do all of these things, he says, but don't touch that tree. Don't eat from the tree. And God then creates woman out of the side of the man. And the man sees the woman and is pretty pleased. This is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So there is these moments in history where everything is perfect. The first humans were unashamed and living in perfect communion with God. And he's given them freedom, but with one instruction. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And let's see what happens next in the story. Genesis 3 from verse 1. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Firstly, we might think, this slithery snake, in case you are not sure, is the devil in the form of a snake. What is the devil doing there? The devil was originally an angel. We know this from other parts of the Bible, the first to deny God, wanting to do his own thing. He was in a place where Jesus was continually worshipped. Jesus, of course, existed before he was born on earth. The beginning of John tells us, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And Colossians 1, 16 to 17 says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus has been glorified for all eternity, and the devil was part of that. But he was jealous. He wanted the center of attention to be himself. And he was kicked out of heaven and he fell to earth and then wanted to convince everyone else to sing to his tune. I don't know if you noticed here, but in that text he misquotes God. Did God actually say, with a kind of sarcastic, sneering tone, that you won't eat of any tree in the garden? It says the serpent was craftier than any other beast in the field. Yet Adam and Eve were supposed to exercise authority over the beasts, but they end up being subject to a created being rather than the creator. And this tree was put in the garden, was their choice. That God was looking for a, a relationship that was loving, and it can only be a real loving relationship if there is choice in it. He's not forcing himself on it. And often, the question is asked is, why did God put the tree there in the first place? And I think, this is my thoughts, that the tree is there to weave into every human heart that obedience to God brings joy and flourishing. And we see, he, we see Eve here being tempted by the devil. Firstly, he misquotes, because he said, did God say you can't eat of any tree? When actually God said, not that tree. He starts to tempt Eve. He starts to make her doubt God's goodness. He appeals to different aspects of the human makeup here. He appeals to her mind when he says, when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. 
He appeals to her mind. He appeals to her stomach and her eyes. He's saying here, God doesn't really like you. He doesn't want what's best for you. And he's, she's starting to let her mind rule. She saw that it was good for food, appealing to her stomach. And she sees and lets in. So she looks at it. What she's looking at is affecting her inner being. And often it's said, isn't it, the eyes are the gateway to the soul. You know, we, we're actually quite, my wife and I, we have three children, and we're often quite strict with what they watch, because what they let in affects their soul. You don't have to read many studies on this sort of thing to, to realize what you let in through your eyes and ears affects your soul. It affects our inner being. And what we see happening here happens to all of humanity, happens to all of us. She couldn't help herself. And it's like a statement we hear today, well, it's just how I feel. And I couldn't help it. There's nothing I can do, it's just the way I feel. And we all have stuff that maybe we do or maybe we're tempted with, you know, eating too much, drinking too much, watching things that we know aren't good for us, spending hours just scrolling through social media mind-numbingly. And sometimes we think, I just can't help it. It might be that we get angry easily or not easily satisfied or we slip into just always wanting to look after number one. But if we're honest, we are all tempted and slip into this and there is a way that we can fight it. And sadly, we seem to be slipping into a world where people are controlled by their feelings. We can't help the way we feel, so we're just going to go with it. This is who I am. People are defining themselves by feelings. And feelings are good, but we must not let them rule over us. I mean, who wants to be controlled by their feelings? Because I don't know about you, but I feel differently from one day to the next. And I do not want that to be my master. And people set their lives on fire and bring destruction to families and to areas of life just because they're saying, I can't control the way I feel. Proverbs 25, 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. You're defenseless. And we, like Adam and Eve, can slip into believing that, that the lie that, that, that this sin or just a little bit of sin won't do any harm. I'm not hurting anyone. But we see right from this moment, people have been under the illusion that freedom is being able to do whatever you want. But God tells us that true freedom comes from knowing what not to do. Adam and Eve are doing here, it's an attempt to become like God, defying God's authority by taking God's place and deciding for themselves what is best for their life. Essentially, they have told themselves to be their own God. But this attempt to be like God should be rather that we reflect his characteristics and recognize his authority over our lives. And this is the beginning of the story of people turning away from God and God redeeming, forgiving, and bringing them back. And it goes in a spiral from here. 
as we'll find out over the next few weeks. But over and over again, people reject God. He comes back, rescues them, and they're thankful until they see what they think is a better fruit. Over and over, they believe the lie. God doesn't want what is best for them, and he's just putting restrictions on them. But ultimately, God does know what's best for us. And when we work within the boundaries he has given us within the Bible, what he has given us, when we follow those, we flourish, and when we step outside of those, we perish. Flourishing and perishing. Peaks and troughs. And this continues all the way through the Bible and throughout the history of humanity. And after sinning, they they feel guilt and embarrassment over their nakedness. And again, these traits follow through human history. Their guilty feelings make them hide from God. This is the worst thing we can do. When we mess up or make bad decisions, we tend to hide ourselves away from God or from others. I've often seen it when people come to Christ and in their early days of being a Christian will make mistakes and then they kind of disappear for a bit. And then when I do see them, they often tell me about struggles or mistakes they've made and end up apologizing to me. I'm like, you don't need to apologize to me. And the worst thing you can do is come to a place like this or come to a church and think everyone else here is perfect and you are the worst of the worst. Because this church is full of imperfect people following a perfect God. Who are saying, look, we don't have it all together and without him, we're lost. Without him, I was lost. Only way we can try try and deal with our temptations or to just try harder. I'm just going to try harder. I don't know about you, but that rarely works for me. And I'm sure, I'm almost certain you are much nicer people than I am. But when I try to grit my teeth, show willpower, I just mess up. Because when we slip into that, what we might call legalism, it leads to death. Or it leads to us being judgmental because we think we can do it on our own. Adam and Eve, when they sin, they know they've messed up. They know something has changed. And what happened at the the last part of what we read from chapter 3... Then their eyes were open and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. And the truth that we see from that is no one likes loincloths. It was literally to cover themselves up and figuratively for us. And we know that what we're trying to do doesn't quite cut it. And it doesn't. And they're trying to cover what is obvious to God. Let's read on in Genesis 3, verses 8 to 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. We see them hiding from God and God seeking after them. Now, I don't know if you've ever played hide-and-seek with toddlers. But they are rubbish at it. (laughs) You know, they stand behind things like this and they think, if I can't see them, they can't see me. But these guys are even worse than that because they're trying to hide from God. God says, why are you hiding? Adam says, 
absolutely naked. Because the fig leaves don't really do it. Because it says they, they put fig leaves on to cover themselves. But he says, look, I know really this doesn't do the job. I'm not really covered. I am really naked. And we see God's desire to have relationship with us through these verses. But how our sin separates us from him. From a holy God. God wanted to be with them, but they were afraid to show themselves. And sin breaks the, cr- the close relationship between man and God. And there is distance between them, just as our sin has broken our relationship with God, because there is a chasm, a great gap between God and man. Romans 3.23 tells us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So even the nicest of you here, You have fallen short of the glory of God. But praise be to God, there is a way back. And we see this promise right from the beginning, and we're going to get there in a moment. Let's read on from verse 11. He says, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Let's focus on this bit. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We see quite a shift here from Adam, don't we? He really throws Eve under the bus. He goes from going, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, to that woman you gave me. (laughs) Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the snake. And you know what they say about the snake? Didn't have a leg to stand on. (laughs) I think I used that last time we looked at this verse. But I just like the joke. Chris knew it. He's probably used it himself. I'm really good, I don't know about you, but trying to pass the blame on. When I've messed up, it's really easy to blame others for my own actions. And and I'm learning, though, that the best way to deal with this is to admit my wrong attitudes and actions and apologize to God and to others. And actually, the attitudes thing is quite an interesting one because sometimes that's the hardest thing for us to realize it's obvious when we, you know, have a blow up and we'll shout it at some uh, partner or whatever, or our kids. But sometimes these attitudes can just creep into us. And we, it's hard sometimes when people try to point them out. But, you know, with this stuff, this is why the Lord's Prayer is so helpful for us. Jesus gave us a framework to pray, to forgive us, and to help us to forgive others. But after this, we see that from Adam and Eve the tragic, cosmic, seismic effects on the rest of the world and all humanity. And we see this later in the chapter with the curses that come. And I would encourage you to read chapter 3 at home. Adam and Eve are banished from the garden. God puts cherubim to guard the gates and stop them from getting back in. But we see here the promise here as God gives them the consequences of their actions and the cursing of the ground and of the man and the woman. And in the midst of it, he speaks to the devil. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman 
and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, this sneaky serpent has poisoned the human heart into sin and mistrust of God. But God promises one to come who will drain all of that poison into his veins. God is telling the serpent, the devil here, and us, the gospel, right here, that one day a better Adam will come and undo all of the evil trade with which his ancestors made with the serpent. He would allow the serpent to fatally bite him on the heel and he would take all of that poison and venom into his veins and then he would gloriously rise from the dead and crush the defanged serpent's head, saving the human race for all of history. We see this later in chapter 3. God is still caring and loving despite their sin and disobedience. It says in chapter 3, verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And we can only assume here the first sacrifice of an animal because God covers their sin and shame with the skins of an animal. But what we're starting to see here and unravel is the greater story. That there is one to come who will bring us back into perfect union with Christ. Despite the fact that from the first humans to the rest of humanity in history, they've decided for themselves to be their own God. Who've all said, we've all said this, I don't want to listen and follow the word of God, I want to judge it myself. That's kind of what society is like now. We don't like some of these bits in here and we just want to, you know, change it and judge it. We don't want to think there's a superior being or deity that one day I will have to answer to. But deep down, we all know that this sickness and death goes against the grain. We need to realize that God in this story is pointing to the greater story of the one who came and was tempted but resisted. Who He was in another garden the night before his death and cried out, not my will but yours be done. In the first garden, Adam and Eve struggled and disobeyed about the tree of life and that disobedience led to death death but Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane struggles with the tree of death but obeys the father to the point of death and it led to life for everyone who chooses to follow him his obedience led to anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved who confesses with their mouth who believes with their heart they will have eternal life Romans 5 tells us Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Jesus climbed the tree of death, the cross, so that we could have life. He is the perfect sacrifice. He perfectly fulfilled the law. He atoned for our sin and disobedience. We see in these verses today that the problem of the world isn't liberalism or conservatism or extremism or communism or fascism. It is the human heart. That is the problem with humanity. God is the one with the right knowledge of good and evil but we want to define that for ourselves and humans are horrible at it and we will see in the coming weeks things just spiraling away 
from this moment. But there is a way back. And the good news is that God meets you where you are, but loves you so much, doesn't leave you there. That as you put your trust in him, you get the rest of your life here becoming more like him. This isn't just a promise for the future. It is a promise now as you get a deposit of the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of you. And this Holy Spirit enables you to fight sin. Enables you as you confess your sin to him. As you give things to him and say, Lord, I can't do this, but you can. The Holy Spirit enables you. Jesus said he was the seed of God's life that would die in the ground and then grow into a plant that would bear much fruit. Jesus defeated death by passing through it. And we now can all eat from this new tree of life. We need to pass through a type of death to die to our old ways of being human so a new humanity can take place. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. You're invited in to be part of the tree and help produce its fruit and his love can spread through us to others. That's what we prayed about this morning, wasn't it? Jesus has recovered and redeemed all that was lost. We cannot do that, but he can. And this is the answer that will bring you peace. Only through knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and walking with him daily in relationship with him can you know true peace. Can you know true purpose? Jesus died so that we don't have the barring from paradise anymore. It is removed for those that put their trust in him. The son of God who hung on a cross, who tells the greater story of a new covenant in his blood. The old order will pass away. Romans 8, 18 to 21 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You can know true freedom from this moment that we looked at this morning. You can know freedom from the bondages of sin. You can have freedom from those things that you know you're just stuck in a pattern of behavior or thoughts or actions that, you know, I can't get out of this. But when you come to him, he will help you. He will enable you. He will come to live inside of you. This is life changing this is groundbreaking that you will have a solid foundation because everything else in this world is shifting but you can come to a kingdom that cannot be shaken through a relationship with Jesus Christ in Jesus you can know peace you can know God